0: let's do this the cult of hockey podcast by the faithful and for the Fateful. i'm david staples of the edmonton journal and i'm here today with bruce McCready. hey bruce
1: hey david how are you doing
0: good just back from my evening exercise so that uh oh, it always feels good to get out and get the blood pumping and get stay healthy stay healthy in an unhealthy time what about you
1: yeah, I got out a little earlier in the day. It's uh, with the snow on the ground. I like to get in before dusk, you know, because you start losing your depth perception on that snow after a while. It's just you don't really get a sense of the texture of it. So I like to get in and out. Of course, sunset so early anymore. It's almost quarter to five now that it's uh, setting in standard time. So anyway, I'm not. Uh,
0: Is this the uh, the real time? Is on. this like?
1: Is this, this like is the standard this, time this is, is the way it should time.
0: be then yes oh I kind of, I think I prefer daylights the daylight savings time just keep yeah. that
1: well noon is actually centered something close to noon you know what I mean and like like the middle of the day is is uh, around 12:30 standard time around 1:30 daylight time so it's just a matter of adjusting our internal clocks I mean yeah the time doesn't change. It's just the way we mark it that we we mess with it twice a yeah. year, for whatever reason. I don't
0: like well. I don't like the dark night, dark evenings. I'd rather have light. Oh,
1: it's gonna be dark no matter what, David. Just like oh, we're, <laughs> get, we're getting into the depths of uh, a winter here. Uh,
0: it's nice. Isn't that the truth, Bruce? Hopefully that. Uh, hopefully all the good news today about the possible um, um, vaccine is true, mm. because we could use some good news. All righty, yeah. let's talk about couple interesting things i've been uh, watching the games of three prospects three oilers mm-hmm. prospects one of them's kind of old to be a prospect but um and i will try to use the swedish pronunciations because bruce we can hear it right from the horses i'm hearing these swedish broadcasts so the first player is uh i don't know how they say his first name but it's theodore Landstrom, a 26 mm-hmm. year old uh um ufa that the Oilers signed this year mm-hmm. uh the other one is uh Philip Berryland, who we call mm-hmm. Philip Bergland, but they call mm-hmm. Philip Berryland. And um, I think he's 20, I, I, I'm just 22, 23. 23, and uh, he was drafted in 2016, I believe, the Pugliarvi year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and um, he plays in this, these players all play in the Swedish elite right. division, right. A, uh, a league. Yeah, he's 23 now. May 10th, 1997 was his birthday. And the third player that I watched was Philip Broberry, and, uh, who we call Philip Broberg. So Broberry is, was the order's first pick in 2019, eighth, eighth overall, Bruce. Yes. Yeah, just ahead of Trevor Zegris, caused yes. a lot of controversy with that pick. Yes. So I'm going to, I'll tell you, I had kind of first impressions. This is the first time I've seen them. I've seen Broberry play in kind of junior all-star things. This is the first time I've seen him play against men in the Swedish Elite League. So we're going to get into that. Um, We'll talk a little bit about the passing of the great Howie Meeker, Mm -hmm. big Canadian hero. And also about a Remembrance Day story that you're working on right now that is related to hockey. And we'll talk about that. Why don't we start with um, with Howie Meeker, Bruce, and I'll just quickly give my thoughts on it because I know you wrote a post on it. But I
1: did.
0: I and and a very good post I read. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, growing up with Howie
1: Meeker. Uh, he was a big man. Big right. man. I was right.
0: just recent recently impressed again with Howie Meeker. It might have been about a year ago, and I don't know how old the interview was, but it was. I think it was from his 80s early 90s. He was still playing hockey. And he just talked about how he loved hockey then more than he had ever loved it in his life, playing at that point. And he had found uh, a team that he really felt at home on. And uh, he was with a bunch of other guys who loved to pass the puck. And of Howie Meeker, of course, Howie being Howie, he had some choice advice, which was use a short hockey stick, like those long hockey sticks. You can't make a pass. You, you got to get the short hockey stick. So... And, and, you know, since that time, I've shortened my hockey stick, and in, indeed it is very true. Way more – it's it's harder to poke – I'm a defenseman. It's harder to poke right. check someone. But it is way easier to uh, get off a good shot or make a pass, do all those little skill things with a shorter hockey stick. So thank you, Howie Meeker. And thank you for being uh, an inspiration, playing hockey into your 80s. That's my goal in life is to play hockey into my 80s. And um, – it's probably my fundamental goal at this point or one of them. It's in the top five. So uh, he, he did it. If he did it, others can do it. So way to go, Howie Meeker.
1: Yeah, he, he was uh, – I grew up in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, and Howie was the uh, big hockey man there. Uh, after his playing career, he moved down. But uh, first of all, I mean, uh, what, a, what an absolutely remarkable life. Uh, he uh, he just turned 97 last week, and uh, I was uh, uh, thinking of him already last week, and, and uh, talked about him a little bit on Low Tide Show, on my weekly spot on the Lowdown and Low Tide TSN 1260 uh, every Wednesday, and uh, it, his name came up, and we talked about him a little bit then, and I asked Alan, I said next week on Remembrance Day I want to talk a little more about Howie because kind of you know Remembrance Day uh kind of fits the theme of of, uh, of howie and i mean i guess probably remember today i will be talking to him about howie because in the meantime he died i mean this this was all set up even you know it's just based on his birthday well he uh he lived to the ripe old age of 97 and he he managed to milk everything out of life i think that's possible i mean what a life he had he, he uh he uh, nearly ended uh, very young for him and uh, world war Two. he got blown up two different times by by grenades one which caused serious leg injury that uh they originally said he would never walk again and he would uh not only walk again but skate again and skate well enough to make it to the national hockey league despite some like some sort of ongoing issues with that leg as i understood it and this was you know I mentioned in a few books that I read back in the day about uh, about the Leafs, who were my childhood team. Anyway, he, uh, uh, he finally came into the NHL in 1946-47 after the war, and all he did was score uh, 27 goals, including five in one game, still an NHL record for a rookie, tied only once by Don Murdoch, who later became an Edmonton Oiler. Uh, so from 1947, that record stands. Uh, and he played on a line with uh, great Teeter Kennedy, uh, as well as Vic Lynn, the original KLM line. Kennedy, Lynn, and Meeker. And they won the Stanley Cup in his first year. They won the Stanley Cup in his second year. They won the Stanley Cup in his third year. First team in NHL history to win three Stanley Cups in a row. And Meeker had his name engraved on all three of those cups. And then a fourth one in 1951, where Howie himself made the pass that Bill Barilko finished for what remains one of the most famous goals in the history of hockey, that won the 1951 Stanley Cup in overtime against the Canadians. And, of course, Bill Barilko, famously, that was his last game. Uh, he disappeared in an in a airplane incident that summer, and his, uh, his body wasn't found for over 10 years. Anyway, uh, different story, but uh, they, were, they were connected as part of that Great Leafs team that won four in five years. Uh, actually five and seven years, same as the Oilers, from 45 to 51. And he ran into injuries after that, Howie, so his career was pretty short. He only played eight years in the NHL. uh, But later, while he was playing, he was elected as a member of Parliament. He was recruited by Conn Smythe to run for Parliament in the by-election, and he won in a major upset, age 27, serving in Parliament and playing hockey for the Leafs. And so uh, that j- just as a little aside, then he w- then he went on to coach the Leafs and briefly become a general manager of the Leafs before he had a falling out with the Smythe family and uh, uh, that that ended. And so he was kind of left at odds and ends in his young thirties. And he got a call saying, "Why don't you come down to, to St. John's, Newfoundland? We, you know, our hockey program could use a boost." And so he wound up. Uh, in my hometown for uh, almost 20 years working in the protestant school system at first and then he gradually expanded he had hockey schools and he had he was coaching teams and had a sporting good story he was reading the sports scores on the on the evening news like he was everywhere how he was everywhere in that town and i wound up in one of his hockey schools myself as a as a wannabe young goalie so it was kind of fun to have that sort of uh, first first Person point of contact for for a couple of years. Um, not that I ever developed in anything more than a wannabe goalie, but hey, it was uh, you know if you're going to play, you might as well be coached by the best, right?
0: Coached so. by a maker personally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, after that, uh, long story short, this is the part where most people remember uh, is he went on to become a, a, a quite a famous uh, hockey analyst on CBC television. Uh, uh, doing uh, uh, video reviews with a high, high-angle camera and a little device called a Telestrator and his own inimitable style with the infectious enthusiasm and the uh, high, squeaky voice. And the, Back it up, back it up, stop it right there! You know, and he'd run through the play and he'd pick out some play uh, leading up to a goal or something that maybe happened 20, 20 30 seconds before but was... You know, the key, he would wind through the whole play and see what really started it. Something they still don't do very well, frankly, on replays in in hockey. They so much show the last part of a play, and they show it over and over and over again, and how he would, during the intermission, give you a good clean look at maybe a 40 or 50 second sequence, and he would focus on one guy or one specific aspect, and he would just bring it into the spotlight. And he put out videos. He put out a very famous book, Highway Meeker's Hockey Basics. And he just was front and center in just so many different ways and so many many different aspects of life. Like, what a phenomenal life. I I never
0: understood, Bruce, why he disappeared off the TV.
1: He retired.
0: Did he decide to
1: retire? Yeah, he decided. uh, I was reading one of the many posts I read about him yesterday. He woke up one morning in 1998 and he said, why am I here? I want to be home with my wife,
0: with Grace. Oh, okay.
1: And he was, like, turning 75 that year, and he, I guess he went to probably Ralph Mellenby, and he said, I've decided I'm done here. I'll, I'll do 10 more broadcasts, and then I'm going home. And, then, so, and, that, oh, there and go. then he went home to Parksville, B.C., on the other coast of Canada, where he also had hockey schools, glory. He's in the B.C. Hall of Fame. He's got an arena named after him. Uh, you know, same kind of story, just this tremendous outreach of uh, teaching hockey, and he was way ahead of the curve, teaching hockey skills, skills, skills. It was, it was those things I attended. He cut the ice in half, and there was a scrimmage in the, in the goalies' half of the ice, and on the other half was Howie with a whistle, and pylons and about 50 pucks you know like there's always pucks everybody had a puck on their stick while they were doing these drills and he he would rail on it for years after the russians are getting ahead of us you know because they're focusing on skills and we're all talking about ta- tactics 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 we don't need tactics we need skills and, <laughs> and he wasn't wrong he
0: wasn't wrong no he wasn't wrong and uh, we got the skills we we yep. uh uh someone by the name of walter gretzky i don't know if he was listening to howie but uh, he certainly focused on skills and between gretzky and meeker um there was the perfect the perfect analyst and the perfect uh example of hockey skill just at the right moment i mean there'd been other obviously other great skilled players right. but Gretzky's skill level i think took it to a whole new level and um you know
1: Canada's yeah, it's coaching and, and you're right I wouldn't surprise me one tiny bit that in some way that, uh, that Walter had been inspired by something Howie Meeker had done so. yeah I don't know if there's any
0: mention of that but it's in Walter's book or Wayne's but it, there, it's, it's certainly a possibility because they're the same era right like it's this mm-hmm. exact same moment that that's all going on well Bruce um, rest in peace Howie Meeker
1: mm-hmm.
0: speaking of skill um, I watched some Swedish hockey players and those guys can play. Of course, they could play back in the back in Howie's day and we had WHA fans that we were. We we had the uh, great pleasure of watching some of the most skilled Swedish hockey players ever. You know, Ulf Nielsen, Lars-Erik Schubert and Anders Hedbury, as my dad called them back in the day. That's where I first heard the mm-hmm. Swedish Y at the end mm-hmm. uh, instead of the G. My dad one day was calling him that. I didn't. I don't know where he got that from, but he must have known a Swedish person or something like that, a Swede, and uh, heard that from them. But th- they were on the Winnipeg Jets, and that was with Bobby Hull. And that was the team that inspired Glenn Sather. Okay. Uh, that line inspired Glenn Sather to free up the Edmonton Oilers. And the, you can't underestimate how important that was, Bruce, in hockey history. Because you could take that, I think you could take that same group of Oilers players, and if you had the wrong coach, like, Put it up the boards. Everyone stay in your lane. You know, hard to the net, blah, blah, blah. Like, all the basic hockey stuff that were were kind of the the canons, the Ten Commandments of Canadian hockey, which were so limiting. If, say, they had stuck to that, Mm -hmm. who knows what would have happened to players like Curry and Anderson and, you know, Messier probably would have been fine. Or Gretzky, Who you know, even him Uh, with the wrong coach. Or Paul Coffey. Yeah. But but say they just freed those guys up to play based on what he had seen with the Winnipeg Jets and in the, the Swedes and I got off on a tangent there but uh.
1: up and down your wings was a Canadian way of playing and the and what the uh, what the uh, hotline brought was uh, swirling motion and I mean Bobby Hull he was still kind of up and down his wings but the other guys would so distract with their with their zigs and their zags and their drop passes and their across ice passes, and and I, I know, remember making a point one time going to Coliseum in WHA to watch the Jets and the Oilers, and deliberately choosing a seat behind the net so I could look up the ice and get a sense of this east-west motion, as opposed to the north-south angle that you get from the TV camera, and I was just astonished by the breadth of the game. The puck was just, you know... You had to have your head on a swivel tracking this puck when these guys were, were slinging it around. On I mean, a great criss, team. Crisscrossing and so on. And, I mean, the Oilers, I mean, you talk about crisscrossing, that was the big part of their game, right? Was, yeah. Uh, was, you know, they had yeah. these, you know, Messier and Anderson would always be cutting across each other's pass. And, you know, Curry was a right winger, but he seemed to score about 80% of his goals from the left wing. And, you know, yeah. they, the Oilers were at least there was inspired by that, and he had the guns to do it.
0: So the, the reason I'm bringing it up partly is it, what comes to mind is I, w- I was watching these defensemen, and one of them really reminded me of Lars Eric Shuberry, who was this oh, fantastic um, nice. defenseman.
1: <laughs> fantastic
0: defenseman. And, and it was uh, like I was, so I was watching. Uh, the one that I was expecting to be probably least impressed with on a certain level, maybe just because I was, it was so unexpected, it, it, it impressed me the most, and that was Theodore Lenstrom, who is 26 years old. I think he's played like five years in the three or four years in the elite league. Before that, he was in the Allsvenskan, and um, so the owners signed him. He's 26. He's six one, about 180, I think, and uh, he had a pretty good year last year. But I, I have to say, I guess maybe after the um, we had, we had all been so excited, including me, over the Yoel Parison signing last year. Right. And, um, you know, Mike Zanier had come on the radio. He, he's, he was VAC shows uh, where, where Parson plays. He, he was their color commentator. He'd been really right. bullish on the player mm-hmm. and thinking he was going to be great and, you know, would make a real impact. And let's face it, Person turned to be quite a disappointment. He just wasn't fast enough. He didn't think the game fast enough. Uh, he didn't play the game fast enough to to thrive at least. Who knows? Maybe if he had had another year in, in North America, he would have got it together. But so there, there we had another 26, 27-year-old, whatever he was, defenseman, mid-career coming over last year. So I was kind of had low expectations of Lenstrom, But, um, wow, he is one s- smart hockey player. He was constantly uh, making, like, smart decisions on the ice. Uh, involving himself in the play and really smart moves with the puck. He's very very agile and with a quick shift of his body can 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 control the puck. Another shift, evade the forechecker and fire off a pass. And uh, he just it's it's, it's not a non flashy game because he's constantly involving himself in the offense. But he doesn't rush the puck. Uh, he's not that guy. Um, he doesn't. He, He's not a big hitter, and if there's a weakness, and there is a weakness in his game, I think he'll have trouble handling the big forwards in the NHL, some of them. He's going to have to figure that out, you know, to get his body in the way. He got beat down the wing by one big winger uh, for a good grade A chance at one point in the game. So it's not he's not a perfect player. But Bruce, in terms of uh, a player who could help, he's a left shot deep, played both sides of the ice. A player who could help the Edmonton Oilers this year, mm-hmm. Lenstrom is a really fine hockey player. And uh, he's in, he's right in the prime of his career. Might need a few games in the HL, but he he's the real. He's a hockey player. He mm-hmm. really he's got this. He, he, I could just see him combining so well with the other offensive players, with the really smart players on the on that team. And yeah, I was obviously impressed. It's just one game, of course. Just one game. Maybe I saw him on a good night. So I'm I'm giving him a game grade, a re, really high game. I'll give him an eight for that game. Wow. But I don't know if he's an eight, you know, if he's an eight. Right. I don't even know if he's an eight player in the Swedish league or a seven player or a six player. Like eight is what great? A great yeah. player. He had a he had a great game. And mm. so he's probably a, a seven player in the Swedish league, a good player. But maybe he is a maybe he is this this great player there. I I can't say for sure. I just saw him. This is my first impression. But uh, really liked what I saw.
1: Excellent. That sounds exciting. He's had uh, this is his fourth year now in the in Swedish Hockey League, and he played uh, uh, actually maybe even his fifth year, and he played in something called Sweden One, which I assume is hockey Alf Svenskin. yeah, three years. like he's he's like Joel Pearson that he's been kicking around for a number of years, putting up pretty good numbers. Uh, this year so far, he's he, he's not playing a ton of minutes. Like he's not in the 20-minute class, like I thought he might be. But he's playing like 17, 18 minutes a game. Uh, nine goals, one or nine games, one goal, one assist, two points. So I'm not knocking it out of the park. Uh, but I did a drive-by of, uh, of his uh, of his recent games and just look at. some I didn't have time to look at full games the way you did, but I looked at uh, some of the actions within those games, like the plays where he was taking a shot on net or towards net and very impressed with uh, what I saw. Like I liked how he jumped up into the holes, like he was quite aggressive without the puck, uh, you know, sort of finding the soft spot on the weak side of the ice and being ready to fire when the puck got there. And he did He did get a goal on a play like that, as I recall, his, his one goal so far, but he's been... Uh, you know, a one point every two games he was last year, which is very good for a D-man in that league. I, I think offense first, like he's a he's a puck mover and, a, and a kind yeah. of a, a proactive, aggressive attacking player.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to know where, where he would make the Oilers. You know, if they wanted to have a more offensive player than Chris Russell, though, you know, if they wanted to go in that direction, mm-hmm. he's the guy. Like, I think he could step right in on a third pairing and Sweet. He's just a really smart hockey player. You know, he, he's he's kind of fearless about his like he, he'll get the puck at the blue line, pass back at the blue line, and he'll de- he'll try to control it and deke. Like rather than just if it's a wobbly pass onto his backhand, he's, he he will still try to make a move, and he'll pull it off um, at the blue line and get around the guy and make a play. He's just um, high skill, very high skill, and coming out of nowhere. I, I think he was undrafted and. Um, good for him. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Probably nothing. Usually nothing. Usually nothing right. happens. But I can see why the Oilers signed him. And kudos mm-hmm. to the Oilers scout who uh, who noticed this this player, because I think it was a hell of a signing, and uh, kind of a dark horse candidate. I'm going to put yeah. him in that category to to make the team because uh, um, that's exactly what he is.
1: Well, we had him ranked as our number 13 prospect in our uh, summer yeah. rankings, our provisional rankings. So pretty good for a first timer. That said, uh, and technically we should have left him off the list because he's a slightly too old to be uh, eligible for the Calder tro- Trophy, which is our usual uh, yeah. uh, definition of uh, prospect. But he was so like August eighth his birthday, so he turned 26 just before the September 15th cutoff. And because we'd never covered him before, we thought let's let's include him in there and just treat him like a like a prospect for this one year and. Uh, you know he, he he landed in a pretty good spot, but of course, sure guesswork on our part in terms of you know how good he really is. I mean, <laughs> going efficiency. on the information available yeah. now. Now we're getting to the point where we can see the guy play and get a little bit more reason to to uh, uh, to at least you know see see uh, uh, what his qualifications might be and why it was that the Oilers signed him as you as you've already described.
0: Are they ever deep on defense, Bruce? I mean, they're just They've got a lot of really good hockey players, so that's good because you need, often need a lot of really good defensemen to get it through get through the year.
1: I'm on th- NHL experience, but they got a lot of D-men that have yeah. you know, experienced, or experienced hockey players, for sure.
0: Yeah, Philip Berryland.
1: Mm.
0: He is a big right-shot defenseman, uh, 6'3", 210. Mm-hmm. So he's a big guy. And I was – so, again, this is just a first impression based on this game. He didn't have a great game. He didn't have a good game. Um, he he looked – there's some really – he's got a really long reach and a long stick, and that makes up for a lot, you know, defensively. He's pretty hard to get around defensively. He's a good defensive player. He plays the power play and the penalty kill. He's playing like 23, 22, 23 minutes a night. He's, he's playing – in terms of for a defenseman, he's got to be in the top 10 – uh, easily for the Swedish league for D-men. Um, he's, uh, he's skilled enough. That they use him on the power play. Um, Bruce, he, he just, maybe it was because I was watching Lenstrom and Broberry who are both really interesting offensive players in different ways. He, he struck me as a little bit mechanical and stiff in his movements. Um, he, he can really fire that puck. Uh, he's got a good shot. He passes well. I, I do not I don't, I'll just leave it at that because I don't think he had a particularly good game. I think, I think I'll wait a little bit more before giving an overall assessment. You know, he just, there was some enough good there that I thought, well, let's see. But he just didn't seem to be as athletic as these other two guys and quite as uh, moving. You know, the skating wasn't as strong, although he he was keeping up very well in the game. So Um, he's also, he's he's in Sweden this year um, for the full year. And then right. he'll be coming, probably be coming over next year. And a right shot demon, you never want to, never want to rule those guys out. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I again, watched some selected action of his, and, and uh, saw a lot of him on the power play. Mm-hmm. It seemed like, and and uh, he does like to shoot the puck, like he you know directs it towards the net. He like Lindstrom doesn't have a particularly big bomb, but he you know he. he he sees the holes he get uh, both to get himself into and also to get the puck through, uh, you know, shooting it through traffic and getting it into the you know net front area if not on goal. And uh, the one goal that uh, I saw him score, he really snuck into the play and came in on low on the left side where nobody would have expected. Somebody passed it over there and he had to tap in an open side.
0: So of the three signings that they made recently from Europe. On, on defense, Lindstrom, Beryland, and Nima Leinen. Uh I'm gonna say Nima Leinen, by far in terms of just first impressions with me, by far was the least uh least impressive uh in the game that I saw. The, then Barryland's in the middle and Lindstrom by far at the top. Uh but again, these are just first impressions and I could could be wrong and we'll see. We're gonna watch these players over the next couple of months closely and report back to you on there every game from here on in. So uh, we're going to have lots more information to to deal with. And in the end, we're going to revote our prospects list, which was right. much more accurate.
1: Well, yeah, at least based be. on our
0: opinions, at least we'll have seen them ourselves and we're mm-hmm. just not going on the opinions of others. Speaking of the opinions oh. of others, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I looked it up, Berglund is ninth in the, in the SHL, 22 minutes and 10 seconds a game.
0: Um, speaking of whatever I was speaking of, um, first, <laughs> sorry, it's okay. Um, <laughs> that was good. That was good information. Cause I brought that up. Philip, uh, Broberry, Bruce, um, mm. he, it was the, again, the first time I'd see it was the first time I've seen him play against men in the Swedish leagues. This is his second year there. And he is just an amazing hockey player. I, I think now Mike, Oh, I, I, I was going to say, um, the opinions of others. Mike Zanyer was on others now talking about Philip Broberry, and he seems a whole lot less impressed with Broberry. He was saying, oh, "You know, I think he's going to be a four, fifth, or sixth defenseman." I think, and I just watched him play. And I thought, "What?" Like, on, and there just seems to be this with this player. Like, there's this cap of, there's this group of people, and it's a large group of people, hockey people, and they think, and, and analytics people, and they think, "Oh, this is a at best a second pairing defenseman at best," and he might not even work out into that. And then there's the other people who love this player, who just love this player, and they see possibly a number one NHL D man, not just a top pairing guy, but possibly a player who can be a real number one defenseman in the NHL. And Bruce, I'm I'm leaning in that camp. Like on and so I've seen him before highlights and I've seen him play in the, the what was it? Not the Halinka tournament, but the one the showcase, the the, the,
1: uh, oh, the World showcase. Junior yeah. Showcase,
0: Summer Showcase. Right. Again, that's an all-star game. It's in the middle of summer. so, And, and this is, again, a first impression. He is an amazing sk- skater. He really is. He He's just... he's for, he's First of all, he's big. He's like 6'3", 190 or 200, something like that. But he flies around the ice. He is so agile. There was a moment in the game where he was skating forward and the other team started to rush the puck. So he was skating forward at him, and then he realized that better rotate backwards. And the transition that he made from forward to backward was it was a thing of beauty to see that guy move on the ice skate like that there's just a handful of defensemen Mm -hmm. very 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 good defensemen who i've seen who can skate like that now are is his decision making there no he makes bad, still iffy decisions, and he's kind of unsure of himself, and he can get beat on defense. And Like, lenstrom's decision-making, for instance, he's at like a player 26 in the prime of his career, just at a much different level.
1: Huge difference.
0: H- hockey IQ, a huge difference in, in age and experience. And lenstrom I think, is a very, very smart player to boot. So, you know, he's always on the right side of the – you know, often on the – almost always on the right side of his man in the D zone. You know, that isn't always the case with Broberry, but he – it's coming together. Like there's been comparisons between him and Darnell Nurse, um, kind of um, big, tall guys, really fast. Maybe not great passers of the puck, but good skaters with the puck. And I don't, I don't see that comparison really. I think Broberry has a much higher ceiling than Darnell Nurse ever did, as a defenseman. And um, because I, th- I think his passing is already pretty good, I see a much better passer. Uh, and his shooting is pretty good. He he gets off one timer shots consistently. He's on the power play now and then, and uh, they set him up for the one timer shots. He gets that on net, gets it at the net dangerously. He uh, comes close to scoring. There was a he, there was a play where he rushed he he rushed into the slot and he got a pass in the slot, and um, he got a sh- just as he was getting a shot on net, someone lifted his feet from out of out under him and he oh. flew through the air like Bobby Orr. Like, like that's. It was just like that scene.
1: On the and, backhand, eh? I, yeah, I, I saw that play. It was very, very impressive. And uh, he's yeah. had two or three of those.
0: So, here. yeah, just a really. I was just, you know, that draft pick will be controversial until it isn't. Just like Leon Dreisaitl's contract was controversial until it, it is. is the isn't. Well, I think someone, uh mom <laughs> Lissichin, just named it one of the top ten contracts in the NHL. Or fourth,
1: fourth best contract in the NHL. But you know, it could have been better, David. It could have been better.
0: <laughs> well we all anyway. you know what? Most of us said that. <laughs> Sorry, that's
1: a pet me. peeve of mine. Yeah. Most Take of us the said, win. Take the win. Yeah. Order's got a great player for the maximum term for a very reasonable price. Call it a win. Let's all be happy.
0: Let's I be think happy. everyone's happy now with that <laughs> And you know what I went back I read I went back actually and read what people said on Twitter, because I, I did a, you know, uh, Twitter reacts to Leon Dreisaitl's comment or contract. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the con- and the negative comments were a little less negative than I had remembered them. You know, I had remembered some what I, I thought was pretty harsh criticism, but it was actually pretty measured. The people who were criticizing the contract and even people who were big fans of Dreisaitl, like me and you at the time advocating, you got to sign this guy, he's going to get better. He's a, he's a center he's gonna be a great two-way center in the playoffs all the things we were saying and, and you know we but even I, you and I I think would have been happier obviously if he would signed for something starting with a seven like seven point eight or seven point nine you know that's what I was hoping for
1: it would have been seven years starting with a seven would we have been as happy as eight years starting with an eight I'm not so sure
0: maybe I, maybe I remember
1: you... writing that post that day that not the Twitter yeah. reacts but the already signed dry sale and uh, the eight that showed up in my post over and over again was eight years, eight years. We got him for the <laughs> max eight years. We just got dry, uh, McDavid for the max now it's, uh, dry saddle signed for the max. This is very good news and, and I mean yeah, price was. Was, price was a uh, price was edging up there for sure but uh, uh, that's not something I'm gonna cri- criticize Peter Shirelli for a lot of things. But in signing that, he said Leon's a center. He's a big guy. He's going to be a you know a, a, an engine for our team for a lot of years, and he wasn't wrong.
0: Yeah, great draft pick by uh, Craig McTavish's team. Um, mm-hmm. That made two pretty good draft picks: Darnell Nurse and uh, Leon settle mm-hmm. When they had that chance, two big pieces of this team, and and Brobery. This is this is um, you know they've had two picks under the Holland regime, two first picks, Broberry and Dylan Holloway, and they're two big, really big, really fast hockey players who play a two-way, two-way game, and, uh, and it would be interesting to see, because Mike Zanier was saying he doesn't think the, the high-end high offense is there for Broberry, and, and maybe he's right. Maybe that's going to be the case. Um, that could well be the case. I I, I can't say for sure, but uh, it's hard to imagine that someone who skates like this... You know, it's it's like, you know... I guess, could you say that Serge Savard never became a leading offensive hockey player in the NHL? Like, he never really had... I guess he had 20 goals one year, well, Serge Savard. But.
1: He, broke le- he broke his leg He broke his leg two years in a row. Early, yeah. early. In his, right after he won the Conn Smythe at age 21, he could sure skate then. And then he broke his leg, and then the next year he broke his leg again. And after that, he was you know, sort of a, a, a slow skater and still one of the great defensemen of all time as far as I'm concerned. But he would so have been even better without those leg injuries.
0: Great hockey player. Well, Brokery, you know, he's... he's I think he's a, a special hockey player. I'm really glad the Oilers took him. I can see why they took him. I'm I'm, with, I'm in that camp of, of people who see something really special in this hockey player. And um, I, I think they made the right choice and we'll see what... Or they made it. Who knows? I haven't seen all these other players. Maybe Cole Caulfield or, or Zegras or uh, who's who's Philip Bondi? Was that one of the other guys? And there's all these American
1: players that they right remember. yeah that, that was the American heavy draft yeah. let yeah. I, I see out of Broberg, Ber, is when they play regular games at least at least once a week or so. He makes some kind of highlight reel play you described one of them just now with that play where he cut across the front of the net and got hauled down and still managed to, to uh, get a very dangerous, that was a great save by the goalie here. he would have, he would have parted one there. And he, you know, he's capable of athletic decisions while he's kind of in an awkward spot where he can still control and, and make his play even while he's, you know, flying through the air going down or, or what have you. And, and, uh, He's going to thrill us periodically, I think, over the over the years to come.
0: Such an athletic uh, player, you know. He just, it's, and it's just tantalizing to think of players like him and Lindstrom playing with McDavid and, and Drysaddle in the future. So we'll see what happens with with uh, both of them. But uh, and I'm looking forward to again watching them play. I guess Broberry will be moving on to play for the Swedish World Junior team. Well, probably not till uh, mid December. I know the right. Canadian teams getting together,
1: he'll but
0: be he'll be here. He'll uh, be here. The Canadian teams getting together, but they're not. They have to because they're not playing games. Most of those guys, except for the guys in the queue. Bruce, you're working on a big story for Remembrance Day. It's a. I remember one day coming upon you or a, at Saint Albert Place,
1: Service you were, Place,
0: Service Service Place, service. and you are looking high, high up top, trying to decipher. A, I think it was a, a photograph. Is
1: that what it was? It was a sweater hanging in the in the high on the wall of service place with a letter beside it under the logo of the Montreal Canadiens. And it was like 15 feet off the floor because it's a big high open ceiling there with, you know, two stories. So I had to bring my binoculars in to read the letter. Well, I've subsequently seen a, a, a better copy of that letter, but it's from the Montreal Canadiens uh, trying to, explaining why a Montreal Canadian uh, sweater is hanging in uh, service place in St. Albert. And it's it's in honor of a a true hockey pioneer who I knew nothing about until I moved to St. Albert a few years ago. And on my walks, when I would go right through the middle of town, there's a pedestrian footbridge, right geometric center of St. Albert, right across from St. Albert Place, goes across the Sturgeon River called the... the, uh, Benoit Bridge. And it's named after a guy named Joe Benoit. And the plaque there says, uh, Joe Benoit, number five, number 11 for the Montreal Canadiens. I'm going, Joe Benoit. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So I went home and I looked up his stats. And here's another player. He started his career, NHL career, let's start with that, in 1940. He played till 1943. And then two years disappeared out of the record, and it's just another one. We talked about Howie Meeker earlier, and there were many, many others, players who interrupted their playing career uh, to join the armed forces and to uh, uh, fight the good fight during, uh, during World War II. And in his case, he, uh, he'd been a tremendous uh, player and scorer with, uh, with uh, Montreal, he scored 30 goals in, uh, uh, in 1942-43, playing on a line with uh, Elmer Locke and Toe Blake. How many goals? Uh, 30 goals. How old was he? Second. He was 26 years old at that time. And he was second in the NHL in goals. Holy 1942-43. moly. Only Doug Bentley ahead of him. And it, the big time line: Elmer Locke, Toe Blake. Anyway, Joe uh, uh, enlisted in the armed forces. And so they had Montreal had to find a new right wing and they went out and they dug up this guy named Maurice Richard, who moved into Joe's spot in the, yeah. and what was already called the punchline, but it, the punchline added even more punch. Of course, 43-44 with the league weakened by so many players out for the war, uh, Maurice Richard came in and scored 50 goals in 50 games, one of the most famous seasons in NHL history, playing with the same line mates. So in one sense, you could say, well, Joe Benoit was the Wally Pip of hockey. You know, Wally Pip was the guy who who felt sick one day and came out of the lineup and uh, the Yankees put Lou Gehrig in his place. And Lou Gehrig never missed a game for the next 15 years. But uh, he was uh, so much more than that. Uh, Joe Benoit was the first uh, St. Albert native to uh, to play in the uh, uh, National Hockey League. He was the first Métis near as I can tell, and I've done a fair bit of research with, with some help from family members and others, first Métis to play in the NHL. Now we hear lots about Willie O'Ree, and we hear lots about Fred Sissakamous, and some of the other players that, that were trailblazers. Uh, I never heard tell of Joe Benoit, and I never heard much tell about you know Métis playing in the NHL until recent years. And part of it was just a, a reluctance to because they got so much negative feedback that, uh, that um, they're a little reluctant to, to even make it known. Like I found an Edmonton Journal article from 1943, April of 1943, and it, it introduced them as black-haired Joe Benoit, a French-Canadian from St. Albert. But it doesn't say anything about the Métis aspect. Anyway, I think he was the first one in the NHL. He was also one of the very first, I think possibly the first, I haven't quite been able to verify this, player to win both the World Championships and the Stanley Cup because he was a member of the Trail Smoke Eaters that won the World Championship in 1939 just on the cusp of World War II. In fact, it was the last World Championship that was played for 10 years, but uh, he was a big-time scorer on the Trail Smoke Eaters in uh Thirty-nine. He copped that uh, world, well, first of all, the Allen Cup, of course, that's how they qualified for the, uh, to go to the world championships. And then they won the world World championship. And then he played for the Habs and, and he came back after the war was over. I mean, he missed two years in the NHL and he played again for the Habs in 45, 46. Of course, his, his, his job on the punchline was, uh, was uh, bought and paid for by the Rocket. So he played a little deeper down the lineup, but he had a pretty decent season. And but he didn't play in the playoffs. But the Habs did win the Stanley Cup, and he did get his name on the Stanley Cup, recognized as Stanley Cup winner. And he is uh, uh, he got hurt. He got hit by a, a famously dirty player called Black Jack Stewart, and suffered a back injury, and that basically put the end to his playing career. He he missed the playoffs that year. Next year he played like six games and they no points and they sent him down like he just was never the same after that and he wound up going on to coach uh, in the Western Hockey League in Seattle lived out his life in in Seattle uh, died at age 65 but uh, uh, he was he set a lot of firsts along the way and he did it from persistence I mean 1936 when he started playing. For the Edmonton Athletic Club, now nowadays known as the South Side Athletic Club, and he would hitchhike or walk from St. Albert to the South Side of Edmonton for practice. Imagine doing that every day, or you know, however often as they did it. But uh, you know, he he wanted it bad, and he became a you know a very uh, a very good player and, and high end scorer at. at the top levels of hockey, both amateur and professional game. And so I he didn't found, play at
0: all eh, in forty
1: three forty four. Not at all in 43-44. and then forty four forty five. He he played a few games with uh, with the army team uh, based out of Calgary. So yeah. there was, uh, uh, they used to have some of the hockey stars. They would have them tour around. My dad, who also served in World War Two, same years forty three to forty five, when he was doing basic training in Toronto and forty two. 43 uh he said that he saw an exhibition game where some some uh team came through and there was a couple of you know nhlers that was on this team and part of it was just sort of to motivate and entertain the troops so uh that's what he did in 44 45 uh or at least for part of that year but max uh,
0: bentley max bentley was on that team it says here i'm just looking at their lineup
1: uh max
0: bentley uh I don't I don't recognize any of the other names.
1: Yeah, well, there was many many great uh, great hockey players who who um, took that time out to to do their duty, and some never came back, you know, or some came back and weren't able to resume their careers, or uh, so it was a uh, uh, it was uh, it was quite a time. And I know my my dad uh, he always had huge admiration. For those sports stars, especially hockey and baseball, which were the two sports that he that he followed, who left their you know relatively lucrative uh, careers behind to uh, to follow a higher calling, you know, and, and so it turns out this week with Howie Meeker passing away when he did, and the Joe Benoit story that I've been working on for some time, that that's the one thing they have in common is they. They both took time away from their uh, from their uh, hockey careers to uh, uh, to join the armed forces and get involved in the uh, in the war effort against the Nazis.
0: I guess they would have played together or against each other uh, oh. in, the, in the NHL right?
1: Well, Howie was a rookie in 46-47, and that's just when Joe was was played at the end games. of the line and played yeah. just six games. So they may have played a game against each other. The odds are they played one or two, you know. But, yeah, that might be yeah. it. Yeah. And but he was Joe was hurt by then and trying to play through this back issue that he just uh, that he just couldn't. But uh, I just thought, who is this guy, and how how is this such a secret? So anyway, the more I dug into it, the more I thought, yeah, I want to write a post about this guy, and I want to write it on Remembrance Day. Of that, of that connection. So that's what's coming up on uh, on Wednesday at the Cult of Hockey.
0: Well, great work, Bruce. That's a great mm. story. Fascinating yeah, story.
1: Super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really was fascinated. I learned a lot. I learned a, a bunch about the, the Métis culture and, and you know some of the backstory there as well in the process. So huge Métis community here in St. Albert because, of course, it's uh, it's the intermingling of the French And indigenous peoples. And, uh, you know, this is a French-Canadian town, St. Albert. And, uh, you know, that's the patron saint of Albert Lacombe, who was the, uh, you know, the guy who started St. Albert way back in 1861. There's a very rich history in this town.
0: So this coming week, Bruce, we're going to continue to watch uh, some prospects. And uh, there's a number of games coming up. The players are playing over in Europe. And uh, we'll be grading those games. We'll be doing our cult of hockey grade, game grades. Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, yeah, I look forward to watching some living people, you know, playing hockey and scoring goals. I mean, this history stuff is great. I love it, but also want to get back into the the here and now and the future as we've been doing on that series.
0: It's it's fun to watch the games. It's, I mean, it's you know, I've been raving about a couple of players today, and and I was really impressed with Ryan McLeod. It is, a, of course these are lesser leagues. And more than that, I think it's, this is a bigger ice surface. And it really like for a player, like so McLeod, you know, like a player like McLeod, you know, he just, there's just all this room for him to go, go, go. And, and I think he might, I might get a better uh, impression of him and maybe Broberry as well uh, based on that. um, Just, just the, the space of the game, the wide open spaces of the European game. So that's, something i'll have to keep in mind something and as you're listening to us i guess rate these players keep that in mind that we're we're rating them they're playing a different style of hockey for one one main difference is the the, the whole idea of having left shot and right shot defensemen on their own on their strong sides on their own sides which is dominates in the nhl in europe they're switching up all the time it's it's constant, like through the game, those switch sides, and they're often playing on their – like uh, Broberry was playing on the – he's a left shot. He was playing on the – he was playing on the right side and and, and uh, constantly switching, so it's not uncommon there. So anyway, we'll watch, watch these guys. They're going to be back in action, a lot of them tomorrow, and uh, through the week, the, uh, all the Oilers prospects. The only ones we can't watch are the ones in the lower Swiss. and all, We can't watch Benson, Morodi, or Rodrigue because their games aren't uh, – they're not in the package that we right. that we're watching these games on, so we're, we'll miss out on those guys. But everyone else, Bruce, we will we shall see. And, I, and Dominic Cahoon, oh. uh, the, the German schedule isn't out yet, but they're supposed to start on the 14th yeah, uh, of November. Yeah. So we'll see if that happens, and we'll watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Dominic Cahoon. Yeah, me too.
1: As well. Yeah, yeah. The thing to bear in mind, of course, is that at this point, as we're grading them on. The basis of individual games, right? Like you, you said, you, you caught Lindstrom on a good game, and you caught McLeod on a good game, and, and you caught uh, Berlin on uh, on a not good game. And of course, as we start returning to these guys and seeing them uh, two and three and five times, that we'll get an idea of their consistency. How you know yes. do they maintain that level, or are they up and down like a lot of players? And if if they're up and down, well, if you pick one game, you could you could you know you could get anything, right?
0: For sure, for sure, and uh, so that's that's the proviso. that's why we're going to watch them over time, and I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. It's going to be going to be fun. Well, Bruce, let's leave it there. Thanks for thanks for talking tonight.
1: All right, thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.